to my right, a New York Times bestselling author. I love that sound so good. Sounds great, doesn't it? A national keynote speaker and consultant that's worked with organizations such as FedEx, Wells Fargo, uh, Comcast, just to name a few. EGIA. And EGIA and MC of Epic 2021. Let's give it up for Weldon Long. Thank you, Jeff. You're very kind. Hey, we're in Vegas. We got to make this sound like Vegas, right? That's awesome. To Weldon's left, we have the president of Flow Odyssey and Energy Design Systems and also an international award winner for consultant uh, of the year, Mr. Drew Cameron. Hey, Jeff. Don't forget that this is the dude that gave me my first job in the industry 20 years ago. He's responsible for you? He was the guy that hired me 20 oh, years that, ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, I yeah he's regretted it Totally different perspective on that now. <laughs> <laughs> to Drew's left, we have the uh, founder and president of EPC Training, EPC Equity, iMarket Solutions. I call him a serial entrepreneur. He has bought and sold several contracting businesses over the course of his career. I actually gave him the name of the HVAC Yoda. Let's give it up for Gary Ellick. G-Man. And we have a special guest today in his debut appearance, yeah. his first ever unfiltered. Yeah, baby. He is the president and owner of Aptora Software, uh, Mr. HVAC, Black Belt Contracting, and also a majority partner in an accounting and tax firm business. And we'd like to welcome one of the nicest guys in the HVAC industry. Give it up for Mr. James Lecter. So it wouldn't be an appropriate unfiltered unless we don't, unless we make sure we get the nicknames right. Okay? So we have the icon. We have the legend. We have the guru. Oh. And the guy that didn't get mic'd up, we call him the rookie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take it. So gentlemen, the floor the is yours. Have fun. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Jeff Rebel. Let's give it up for Jeff, everybody. He's been a, a fantastic addition. I think Bruce brought him about a year or so ago. He's been a fantastic addition to the team. Came from the distribution side, so he knows our business. Uh, he knows what we have to, to deal with on a day in, day out basis, the moving parts in our business. Before we go on to it, I do want to give one other special shout out. Uh, he was here a moment ago, Mr. Andy Mitchell. Andy has been doing the video production for, for me and for EGIA for about 10 years now. He is a very special man, a very special human being. I'm not sure where he is now, but all the stuff that you see, on pretty much everything that you see on the EGIA platform, uh, he's had a, a role to play in that. So he's not here now. He was here a moment ago, but, oh, was he? Oh, he's there he's right there, he's Mr. Right there. Andy Mitchell. He's a very special man. Very special guy. Well, guys, this is awesome. James, welcome to the club, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks very nice to see you. When they say you're the nicest guy in show business, uh, they mean that you are one hell of a nice person. Thank you. And it's hard uh, not to love you and know you because you are such a, a genuine person and smart as a whip. Thank you. Um, G-Man, I often say that Gary Ellix and I mean no disrespect to anybody else, but he is the smartest MFer in this industry. There's just not much he doesn't know. And I've learned so much from that cat. Like, I don't know how I ever made money in this business before I knew him. And Drew, well, I just love Drew because Drew, uh, for those of you who don't know, I spent 13 years in the penitentiary. And 20 years ago, I walked out of the penitentiary to a homeless shelter in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and 
was knocking on doors for six months. I was 40 years old. I had made a major change in my life, but I still needed an opportunity. And what's up, Frank? Nice to see you, buddy. Uh, and uh, six months of knocking on doors, it's kind of hard to get a job when you're a ninth grade high school dropout and a three-time convicted felon, 40 years old with no experience, no education, not much anything going on. But this cat uh, saw something in me that maybe I hadn't even seen in myself at that point and brought me into this industry and gave me my very first job. So I love you, man. Love, you too, love all you guys. So let's talk about some contracting stuff. We're going to kick it off, I think, with probably one of the most relevant, timely topics that we face. And we talked, uh, for those of you who were here for our contractor panel earlier, uh, we're going to pick up on that same conversation. And it's about staffing and labor, because that is a serious situation these days. Uh, there's a lot of governmental policies out there that are incentivizing people not to work. And it's a whole new culture for probably for most of us that have worked our whole lives. And, uh, but we got to find a way to build our companies and to develop the people and to build the team to grow into a $350 million company uh, that Frank DeMarco runs, right? So uh, let's talk about that. And James, will let you just uh, baptism by fire. Talk to us about what you've done in your career and your companies uh, to recruit and develop the people that you need to get things done. Well, first thing is we have to all agree that it's not going to be easy and no seminar dude is going to give you an answer that you're going to write down and say, man, I'm glad I came because that's the answer. It's I think that one thing I've noticed about contractors is that, and I'm guilty of this, we'll put a ton of energy into making a sale. You know, we'll give out our personal cell phone, we'll return calls, we'll drop by the house, we'll put a lot of energy into selling a system, but we still have the attitude, you're lucky to have a job, you're lucky to have a job with me, you'll come to an interview on a day that I like, uh, the interview's under my control, I'll call you back if I wanna call you back, and we really have to think of ourselves as salespeople. Every time you order a cheeseburger, you ask yourself, could she or he work with me? Could we hire them? Could we train them? Could they become a service tech? Could they become a bookkeeper? You're constantly out there with a business card. In fact, a modified business card that says, are you interested in a new career? And it's a sales pitch on working at your company and you're handing that to everyone that you think has potential. And then you schedule sales calls on the, the client's schedule, don't you? Well, how about the same with an interview? I'll interview you at 8 p.m., Saturday at 2 p.m. I don't care if it's 2 a.m. because you get off at midnight. That's when I'll interview you. If we did more of that, we'd pick up a few more people, but a few more people every quarter or so is a lot of people. So that's my first advice is consider yourself a salesperson. You're out there selling yourself, your company, and you're recruiting. And also don't forget, you, you need to look for the diamond in the rough too, because not everybody looks like a total winner and turns out to be a total winner. You know, you could, like Weldon, somebody gave you a chance. And I love Weldon, he's an overachiever. It's not enough convicted once, it had to be three times. I mean, this, that's, that is a, I mean, that is a, if there's an overachiever, that's it, right? So you see that guy's an overachiever and you think, I could work with him. Hey, who brought this guy in here? How'd you get I'll the, never be back, so. <laughs> Gotta love the rookie just attacking. Going, going right all out. Yeah, just like, that. A, like a little pit bull right, right there. Yeah, so. 
I tell people, uh, we talked about this earlier, uh, I've had my IQ test, it's 103. And people don't believe, you know, how do you write books and speak and build businesses with 103 IQ? And they, they don't think it's true. But it is true because I've had it tested three times. <laughs> Every time you go to the penitentiary, one of the first things they do is give you a series of tests. And one of those tests happens to be an IQ test because they can't believe how stupid you are for coming back to the penitentiary. And every time I was like, damn, 103? That's it? But I've made the most of uh, my little IQ points. G-Man, probably nobody in the industry that knows more and teaches more, has written more and talked more about culture than you. And uh, I met Gary indirectly many years ago when I had my first contracting company I wanted him to come in. I couldn't afford him, <laughs> and uh, but I've uh, been a fan of his for that was 2006, 2007. So for a long time, and uh, I've learned a lot about building culture in a business. How important that is. So, talk to us how that culture plays into getting the right people. As as uh, James was, you know, talking about, it's difficult. It's not going to be easy, but we got to do it anyway. Yeah, uh, to me, culture is the foundation for your recruiting process. So going out and hiring the person from McDonald's or anywhere, uh, you need to be able to define the culture and kind of how you want to organize the business, core values, uh, the vision. A lot of the young people today are uh, much more focused on the why. You know, what, what, what's the purpose, what we're, what we're doing in terms of helping the community, saving people's lives, et cetera. So, you know, our generation, the boomers, you know, we probably just needed a job and we were happy to have it. So we weren't asking those questions, just happy to have the economics. But today's environment, I think to me, culture is, is how you recruit. Uh, so the sales pitch that you're talking about um, has to resonate. It has to touch people's emotional side and they have to feel good about wanting to come to work for that organization. Service Champions didn't show up at 350 million. They built a great company over a lot of years and they had great talent and that talent manifested itself into a great culture. And uh, if you walk into that building, you see it, it, it there's a vibe. And so and that's something that we all have to work on. Uh, for our purposes, our businesses, we're always talking about that. Our meeting rhythms, you know, how we train, how we organize. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Tefler was talking about, you know, teaching versus education. Um, all of that to me is a direct result of part of your recruiting process. If people are going to want to refer you uh, and want to come to work for you when you have a great organization. So it takes years to build that. And by the way, you can tear it down in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really important. It, it's uh, uh, Stephen Covey, who was one of my mentors in the Seven Habits, talked about the emotional bank account mm -hmm. and how you make deposits by encouraging people and keeping your word and you make withdrawals when you, when you break a commitment or a promise. And it takes so long to get that balance in the emotional bank account high. And in a moment, you can, uh, you can bankrupt it. By the way, before we go anymore, for those of you who don't know, this whole unfiltered thing started a couple of years ago because G-Man is somewhat of a cigar and whiskey aficionado. And Drew and I are just along for the ride. But uh, Gary, our, I kind of see this Romeo and Juliet. Why don't you talk about this cigar? And also, what are we drinking here? Uh, so the bourbon, uh, it is bourbon, and uh, that's the Jefferson's Ocean Club bourbon. And uh, there's different voyage. Each year represents a different voyage. That's voyage 17. Uh, I picked that voyage because this is a very special event, and I figured that, why not break it out and celebrate it now? So uh, it's very smooth, 
Um, certainly, y'all are welcome to come up, and I'm not taking that bottle back. There, there's a bar so. open in the back. I think some billet back there also. <laughs> audience participation in the back. Audience participation. Yeah, if you guys didn't get one, that's the whole point. <laughs> that brings whole new meaning to things like role play and real play, right? Just come on up <laughs> and get a drink. Um, and the cigar is uh, Cuban uh, from the uh, Cayman stash, uh, the Romeo Julieta. Private Reserve. stash he has in, in Grand Cayman. Yeah. And uh, so I brought that one special for you. Man, I appreciate that. James, I didn't know that you were going to be the, the rookie, so you're welcome to have mine. Oh, no, I don't smoke. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I will say something about bourbon that's cool. Our founding fathers loved to drink, and <laughs> they thought bourbon was so important that they made an official definition of bourbon. All, all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. And bourbon is a very defined, specific thing that our founding fathers laid out for us. That's how much they cared about their booze. Wow. Like, that's some heavy <laughs> That's some heavy <laughs> James. Like, I thought I had, like, Gary got to freak me out. That just blew my brain right there. So in, amidst writing the Constitution, they, they made a commitment to whiskey. Yeah, I told you guys this morning, John Taffer is doing the Lord's work. Same yeah. bars, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Why do you think it took multiple years to write the Constitution? <laughs> <laughs> Drew. Yes, sir. Talk to me, brother, about uh, culture, recruiting, how those things tie together. You've been consulting and speaking in this industry for 30 years or so. Um, as I mentioned, he was the first guy that ever hired me in this business. And most of what I learned about sales, I learned from this guy and from Tom Hopkins uh, over the course of my career. And our dear uh, late friend who just passed away from COVID, Jesse Vigil, uh, who owned the company that he was consulting with when he hired me. And, uh, but talk to, us about, uh, talk to us about recruiting, building a team. Yeah, I mean, recruiting is a marketing function. If you really think about it, that's what it has to be. James talked about it being a sales function. That's what you do, but within your business and to get the word out there, it's, it's a marketing function. You need to treat it as such. And you need to basically speak to the people that you, know, that you have the opportunities for. And what do they want? Most of you start, you know, uh, with a declaration of what you're looking for or, you know, we're growing, we're expanding and we've got this opportunity, you know, for a uh, in-home uh, salesperson or a technician and we need five, you know, you need five years experience and uh, good attitude and all this stuff. These are like all the barriers to entry, number one, to your business and number two, they're all about you. What you need to do is speak to me, right? The person who you're marketing to. It's no different than you marketing to sell a system. Right, and unfortunately, a lot of contractors make the you know the, the wrong uh, mistake there too. They put their logo right at the top of the ad. Your logo is the least important thing. That's vanity. That's all about you. You need to make it all about them. You know what's in it for you. you know, do you have this much opportunity? Earn what you're worth. Are you tired of the same old grind? These are the types of messages that you want to put out there. Speak to them. Interrupt the conversation that they're having in their own head. You got to be disruptive, and and show up where they are in their life. And yeah, like James said, stop looking for the unicorns. I mean, if, if, if a unicorn gets loose in your market and happens to wander up to your door, the first thing you should do is like, oh God, what baggage does this guy got? What baggage does this woman got? Because you know that unicorn, especially that technician, that trained technician that you think is a gift to you and that you're all marketing for is usually somebody else's nightmare. You're better off finding from people from outside of this industry, marketing to them, disrupting the conversation that they have, and bringing these people into the trades. Because <clears throat> you, you can't train them, <clears throat> excuse me, you can't train them to do what you want them to do. You have to untrain them from what they've been doing first, and then layer in the new training. 
And so it's easier to get somebody who just doesn't have the bad habits and build your people from scratch. And, and for you uh, owners, leaders, managers, this is 33% of your job. Something like James said, every day, you've got to have business cards on you. And he said it, specific marketing business cards for recruiting, specifically. And you've got to be doing that everywhere you go. Be thinking about that. What can we do? And it's everybody on your team. It's not just you know, the owner's and manager's responsibility to recruit. It's everybody on the team's responsibility to do that. And, and incentivize your team to do so. You should be putting it in your company newsletter to your customers and letting them know that if you know anybody who doesn't have this high benchmark of all these things but has a good attitude and wants to make a good living and make an impact in the community, send them our way. We're always recruiting. You'd be surprised how many of your customers would probably want to come and work for you. Yeah, great stuff, Drew, as always. And uh, I read a book about 25 years ago written by Jack Welch, the guy who was the CEO of General Electric Corporation. And during the 20 years or so that he ran GE, by most standards, was considered one of the, 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 the most, the best-run corporations in, in the world. And I remember reading a story. He wrote a book called Jack, uh, Jack Welch. And when you were talking about culture, Gary, it made me think about this story in this book that he had a business unit manager come into his office one day with a letter of resignation. And he said, what is, what is this? He goes, well, I just, I made a mistake. I made a decision that just cost cost us $10 million. And so I'm going to spare you the brain damage of having to fire me. I'm giving you my letter of resignation so you don't have to mess with it. He was falling on the sword. And Jack threw it back at him. And he said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm not, I'm not going to take your letter of resignation. I just spent $10 million on your education. <laughs> Why would I fire you? Right? So we have to uh, uh, create the culture that Gary's talking about of allowing people to make mistakes and, uh, you know, most of, I mentioned this this morning, most of what I've learned in life, I learned through my failures. When I make money and things go right, half the time I don't even know why. But when I screw up and I do something stupid that costs me a lot of money, I always know exactly why it happened. So those are important lessons. I'm a person, I don't believe in failure. It's just learning, right? The old Chinese proverb, you fall down nine times, you get up ten. That's it. It's a very simple philosophy. And to learn from those mistakes... Uh, Drew mentioned 30% of our time spent recruiting, and that was Jack Welch's philosophy. A third, a third of an executive's time should be devoted to recruiting. Always talking to new people, always bringing new people in, um, and, and making sure that they have the, the staff to do the things they got to do. And the last thing I'll say about this, and we'll move on to a different topic, is that there's nothing better for recruiting than being busy when your competition isn't. I'm a big believer in marketing dollars. We're, my company I have now is a very new company, a couple of years old, and we spend a bucket load of money on marketing. I live in a pretty small community, Colorado Springs, Colorado. We have about a population of about a half a million people, probably 150, 200,000 single family homes. And we spend a bucket load on marketing. And this month in October, we're gonna run 175 leads. There's nobody in our city running those kind of leads. So the word gets out when our installers are busy and the other installers, the other technicians don't have anything to do because their companies, you know, we're right in the middle of our shoulder season. It was 65 degrees when I left to come out here, right? But when the word gets out there that, hey, these guys are slammed because we spend so much money on marketing, you know, there's nothing better than driving up to your company a couple of blocks away from your company at lunchtime and seeing your competitors' trucks parked a couple of blocks away because they're stopping there for lunch and walking in to fill out an application. And in our company, we always have a stack of applications. 
because people want to come there. Number one, we compensate well. We build the right culture. We treat people with dignity and respect. We pay them well, and we keep them busy. And people come to work to make a living to take care of their family. And the better we're prepared to help them do that, the more willing they are to come to work with us. Final comments on that, Jer? Yeah, yeah. just um, dovetailing on your Jack Welch and the GE Way is the book. The 30, other 30% is employee development. Mm. And so part of recruiting and culture is developing your team. And so I heard you say that in the contracting panel that one of the first things I always suggest is departmentalization, which leads to the conversation about you need to raise your prices. The reason you raise your prices is to be able to afford employee development. I mean, it's, it's difficult to train people and spend time with them. So it's a leadership problem. And I want to just make sure everybody understands that your time that you dedicate to your people is the most valuable thing that you can give to them. That, that screams, I care about you and I care about what your success pattern looks like. Servant-based leadership. So, but you can't do it if you're poor. Employee development is one of those things that gets cut when you're poor. So you need to have your prices set correctly. You need to have your leadership philosophy geared around employee development. If you're not going to develop your people, they're not going to go out and tell people what a great company and culture you have. Yeah. So I, I think we need to be careful that Jack said 30% recruiting, but he also said 30% employee development. That's great. He, he, 60%. That's he, he claimed that was the number one priority for him as the CEO was to spend time with his leadership team and develop his people. Um, he had four senior executives that when he left, uh, not all of them became super successful like he did, but they all four went to become CEOs of different companies. Those were his you know, sort of direct reports. So uh, just a testament to the idea that re recruiting the right talent matters, but development matters too. So you got to do both. Well, you think about it, that's 60% of an executive's time, mm -hmm. either recruiting or training. That's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. It's a big commitment. Final thoughts on that before we move on? You know, it makes me think of a football team. Uh, football team is a business. Coaches are managers. How much time do they spend recruiting players and developing players? All the time. That's what they do. They recruit and develop. It's called practice, right? And in that way, they sit on the sideline and they don't have to kick the ball, throw the ball, run with the ball. They have people that do that. They focus on recruiting and training. That's it. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. <laughs>